In Scotland, when friends get together, they blether. When these three friends happen to be Scottish Blue Badge tourist guides, you can be sure that the country that they're so passionate about will be right at the heart of their discussions, be it contemporary or historical, culinary or cultural, reminiscence or anecdote. From accommodation to zoos, the chat will range right across the entire alphabet of topics and issues that are live and happening in Scotland right now. We hope that you'll join us. There's nothing to beat a recht good blether. And you could also join in our blethers on social media. You can find us as at Scottish Blethers on both Facebook and Instagram. We post additional content during the week that supports the podcast episode. We love making the podcasts and would love it if you could share them with your friends and leave a review on the platform of your choice. Hello and welcome to episode 41 of Scottish Blethers podcast with me, Helen Houston. And I'm Liz Lister. This week has been a very eventful one in Scotland with our football team, our soccer team, competing in the European Championships for the first time for over 20 years. So we've all been glued to our tellies, fingers crossed, toes crossed, but getting very excited all the same. So, will I just start off, Liz? You go for it. Kick off if you excuse the pun. Well, I'm going to kick off with sport on Glasgow Green, which brings in football as well, but as well as many other things. So Glasgow Green, that's one a big area in Glasgow. So Glasgow Green was first identified as common land in 1178. But it was not until 1450 that it was granted to Bishop Turnbull and forever the city of Glasgow by James II. So it's theirs, the city of Glasgow's. And at that time, its rough, boggy expanse was mainly used for grazing of animals, washing and bleaching of linen, for drying fishing nets and for bathing. The green was also used for public gatherings, such as the annual Glasgow Fair, which would have included some sporting events. In the borough records of April the 3rd, 1675, it states that the rouping or roping of the green could be done so that a foot race three times round the green could be staged for a prize of 20 shillings. And that works out about £120 in today's money. There is evidence of other casual sporting use with shinty and football being played, but rowdy behaviour led to both these games being banned from the Glasgow Fair after 1790. Golf, however, was tolerated with the council issuing its first official permits for the game in 1780, which led to the formation of the town's first formally constituted sports club, Glasgow Golf Club, in 1787. Although it's not known exactly when golf started being played on the green, but we do know that James Watt 
during his regular walk across the green in 1765, is said to have had his eureka moment on how to make steam engines more efficient by the time, as he said, he had reached the golf course. The green was extended from 56 acres to 136 acres in 1792, and that included the Flesher's Hoch. In the 19th century, a programme of landscaping, planting and drainage was undertaken by employing the weavers who had lost their work during the Depression that followed the Napoleonic Wars. The council were anxious to protect their beautiful park and by 1814 a ranger had been appointed to stop ball games and by 1819 there was an outright ban on golf, cricket, shinty, football and other games subject to prosecution with the utmost rigour of the law. There was no way that this could happen. People will just continue to kick a ball around. The games continued to be played, and by 1848, there are said to have been at least a dozen cricket teams playing on the green. The River Clyde runs alongside Glasgow Green, and from a sporting perspective, it is the Clyde east of the Clyde Tidal Weir, which had created a deep, wide channel of water through Glasgow Green that, that we're interested in. From about 1830s onwards, the boating regattas drew substantial crowds, up to 50,000 on both banks of the river. The Clydesdale Annual Regatta in 1862 was regarded as a Scottish Henley and was featured in the Illustrated London News, a very prestigious magazine. The Scottish Boat Race is an annual rowing race between the University of Glasgow and the University of Edinburgh in competing eights and is currently held on the River Clyde. It started in 1877 and it has continued regularly ever since its inception, believed to be the third oldest university boat race in the world, predated only by Oxford and Cambridge boat race and the Yale-Harvard regatta. The Glasgow Humane Society was set up in 1790 to rescue swimmers who got into difficulties along the stretch of the river by Glasgow Green. They're still there today at the same boathouse carrying out the same role, which is to preserve human life in and around the waterways of Greater Glasgow. There's a story that among the many youths that rode on the Clyde in the early 1870s was a group of friends who came from Argyll. They'd often watched others playing football on the green and decided to try it out themselves. They decided to form a team and they called it Rangers. Thus, Rangers Football Club was formed. It's also suggested that these four friends were members of the Clydesdale Amateur Rowing Club and later the Clydesdale Harriers. And another curious fact is that two of the early members of the Clydesdale Harriers were Tom and Willie Maley, who played a key role in the early years of Celtic Football Club, which was formed in 1888. Cricket is first recorded as being played on the green in 1826 and this may have been because it was one of the few open expanses of level ground but also, and I find this interesting, it was near the army barracks where soldiers used to play on the butts where the archery had been practised and in 1841 the war office had said that every garrison should have a cricket ground. 
And of course, the advance of industrialisation brought an influx of English workers to Glasgow. And by 1873, there were 200 cricket clubs in Scotland. Bowling was also present on Glasgow Green, with greens being laid out in the very early 1900s. Bowling clubs had been springing up all over Glasgow, and the Scottish Bowling Association was formed in the 1890s to create a common system of rules and to agree on the standard bowl. Tailors of Glasgow, of course. The part of the green I particularly like is the outdoor gymnasium. The first such gym was erected in 1857 and a later Edwardian one still remains today. But sadly, the rings and chains which made it so popular are no longer there. Perhaps everybody prefers to exercise in purpose-built gyms now. Benny Lynch became the first Scotman to win a boxing title and he would have probably used the gym as well there. He earned his boxing title in 1935 and that gave him the British, European and World Flyweight titles. He'd learned his craft in the booths on Glasgow Green. From about 1850 onwards until pollution and increased river traffic dictated otherwise, the most popular swimming spot on the Clyde was at Flesher's Hawk on Glasgow Green, where the banks sloped down to form a beach-like area. But then in 1878, the city's first public baths and wash house opened at Greenhead on the north side of Glasgow Green. This had two swimming pools and a section of slipper baths and spray showers. That was for personal washing. And it also had a steamy. That was where you washed your clothes. By 1918, 10 more public baths had opened in Glasgow. And one of the biggest drivers of usage at the Glasgow pools was for sport. But a really interesting discovery in the 1990s was the foundations of an Olympic-sized open-air swimming pool close to Nelson's Monument. Apparently it was started in 1938, but filled in when war started and remained forgotten and unrecorded until Glasgow University's Archaeological Research Division carried out excavations into the labyrinth of underground air raid shelters that had been built during the war. The Glasgow Green Football Centre features 18 different football pitches of various sizes and qualities, and that was opened in November 2000 on Flesher's Hawk. And the site, that's the site where the Rangers Football Club played its first ever match against Calendar a hundred years earlier. This area is also the location of Glasgow National Hockey Centre, built for the 2014 Commonwealth Games. And Glasgow Green was the starting point at these games for the marathon, the cycling road race and the cycling time trials. And part of the legacy of these Commonwealth Games, the Green became one of 27 sites in Glasgow to be protected by Fields in Trust. We talked about them during our tribute to Prince Philip, some of you might remember. The agreement aims to ensure that the green will be preserved as a public recreation land for all future generations. But the big thing that's happening now is the UEFA Euro 2020 Glasgow Fan Zone. It's in an area built at Glasgow Green, and this is said to provide a safe and COVID-secure environment for Scotland fans and visitors to connect with and celebrate the tournament. It's open every day throughout the tournament and accommodates up to 3,000 people per session. 
These are largely seated in groups of up to six people. And there are three large screens showing the Euros. And apart from airing all the matches, a number of bands and other people will be hosting cultural events throughout the duration of the tournament to give a flavour of the festivals that have been cancelled because of COVID. The Green continues to host sporting events in addition to music events, the annual Great Scottish Run, and the, the runners entering it through the historic McClellan Arch. So Glasgow Green continues to attract people to the facilities for rowing, football, hockey, and also for the joy of healthy activity in such a beautiful park. So Liz, I'm sure you've enjoyed some of the sporting activities of the Green. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm struck by the, the words that you're using there, Helen. Green is a good old Scottish word. Did your mother have a drying green? Absolutely. I still use the, and the greeny poles to hold up the washing. <laughs> After you've been to the steamy, the steamy is another good Scottish one. The steamy was the laundrette where people would go to do their washing yes. in the days before everybody had their own washing machines and tumble dryers. And of course, you can imagine all the gossip and chatter and blethers that went on there. If somebody fell out of favour, they'd be the talk of the steamy. Well, well, that's right. And of course, if you remember, there was a fantastic play just called The Steamy written by Tony Roper and if people can find that that just says so much of the social need for such a place to as you say the interaction and the blethers that went on. And the humour and the Glasgow humour of course the Glaswegians famous for their humour but you also mentioned their flesher's hoch. A flesher was a butcher and a hoch was an area of marshy ground. And um, so there's lots of hawks all over Glasgow. Yeah. And one of the things talking of butchers, Liz, I couldn't find it today when I was doing some research. But I remember reading somewhere that the the swimming and rowing went on quite undisturbed for, for many, many years until apparently a dead bull floated down the water from a farm field further up. So maybe it was thinking it was going to the fleshers. <laughs> maybe. The other thing that struck me, Helen, was the, the number of cricket teams that you say played on the, the green. I mean, cricket is not a game that you associate with Scotland. No, and you're right there, Liz. And that really surprised me until I found out about the every garrison had to have a cricket pitch. Yeah. And then the English people coming up to the industrial Glasgow. And of course, English, every village had a cricket team in England and they came up and they thought we're going to play our game here. Yeah, it's unusual nowadays. I mean, the three that I'm aware of, Fruchy and Fife, I mean, you were talking yes. about Falkland a few episodes ago. Close to that is Fruchy and they have their own cricket team. Also Ely, because they play on That's the sides right. on yes. a Sunday. And the other one is at the Trist in Larbert, Stenhouse Muir, where they used to have the cattle market and there's still a cricket club there. But I'm not aware of many others. No, and just a little on a little personal note, my daughter's partner, I think he's captain or president of the Fruki Cricket Club. Yeah, yeah, so there maybe, you go. Maybe an interview for the future. Yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's you. Know, it's just a, it, what struck me on Glasgow Green was the variety of sports that went on there. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just you. Know, we all know it associating it with Rangers football, but the variety of sports 
I just think is is amazing. And I hesitate to mention it because you haven't, but wasn't that also where the executions oh, took place? The of course hands? it did. And for some, that was sport to watch, a bit like the guillotine in France. Yeah, a good hanging could attract crowds of thousands. And in fact, that's actually where we got the terminology gala day, a good gallows oh, day, yes. a good hanging, nothing to beat it. Yes, and of course, a lot of the things that was attracting the crowds, oh, maybe it happened at the hangings as well, was betting, because all these sports were played out by amateurs. There was no professionals, and the way that money was made was through betting. So the 50,000s that were attracted to these regattas were probably having a good good bet on as well and hoping to make money. Yeah, sideline. So, Liz... You're going to talk now about other sports. So over to you. Yeah, I'm going to pick up on the football, the beautiful game of football, because the week past was a momentous week in the sporting history of Scotland. After 23 years in the football, or soccer as you might call it, (laughs) wilderness, Scotland had qualified for the finals of a major championship. As you mentioned there, the Euros or the UEFA European Football Championship. And what's more, the opportunity to progress to the knockout stages of a major competition for the first time ever was in the hands or feet of our national team. One win and they were through. Sporting glory and a place in history was within touching distance. Now, you may be wondering by now what all the fuss is about. It's just a game. But to understand the Scots' relationship with their national football team is to understand the Scots' psyche. As Bill Shankly, Scottish football player and manager of Liverpool Football Club in the 70s, once said, Some people think football is a matter of life and death. I assure you, it's much more serious than that. British by birth, Scottish by the grace of God, is a sentiment that chimes with many of us. We have a good conceit of ourselves, invincible, eternally optimistic, eternally disappointed. We live for those moments when the saltire flies high and our hearts beat loud in our chest. Hard to come by, but all the sweeter for it. Our national football team is the embodiment of naked nationalism and for 23 years a whole generation of Scots have been denied the ecstasy and the agony of supporting them at major competitions. For most of us this support takes us no further than our local pub or the comfort of our own armchair but for some supporting the Scottish team takes them on a journey through good times and bad and the very bad. We're talking about the Tartan Army, Scotland's international body of supporters. They travel the world in their instantly recognisable uniform of kilt, navy blue Scotland strip, Timberland boots and Glengarry bunnet or a Hey You Jimmy hat. Pinned to these hats like notches on a claymore are all the badges of previous sorties. The battalion have two aims, to cheer their team to success and to drink the town dry. While the first may be hard to accomplish, the Tartan army are indisputable world champions at the latter. It's not unheard of for a foot soldier to tell the wife that they're popping down to the shop for a pint of milk, 
and then to disappear for months on end as the battle call takes hold. The mode of transport may also get creative. Battered old pickups and motorhomes customised with Scotland flags and Tartan Army slogans regularly snake their way across Europe. But transport might also take the form of an old ambulance, a retired fire tender, even a 1952 former RNLI lifeboat that was recruited to sail to Paris. The fans are generally welcomed wherever they go, by the bar owners who charge exorbitant prices, but often at civic dinners and receptions held in their honour during the 1980s and 90s, when English fans were experiencing significant problems with hooliganism, the Scots fans, always driven by a need to project their identity as Scottish rather than British, cultivated a reputation for their warmth, humour and friendly behaviour. Raucous, yes. Messy, yes. But also award-winning named Best Supporters during the 1992 European Championships and given a reward for their behaviour at the 1998 World Cup in France, their last sortie into the elite of football. They've also developed a reputation for their charitable work, raising money for disadvantaged children, not only in Scotland, but in the countries the fans visit when they follow the team. While supporting Scotland in a way fixture against Bosnia in 2000, a group of fans were introduced to Kemal Karic, a local boy who lost his leg in the shelling of Sarajevo. The Tartan Army Sunshine Appeal was established and since 2003 the charity has made a significant donation in every country where Scotland has played, achieved uninterrupted over 50 consecutive away games. I'm old enough to remember former glory days. In particular, the 1978 World Cup in Argentina, where for the second time in a row, Scotland had qualified while England had not. Led by the charismatic, if a bit eccentric, team manager Ali McLeod, the nation's expectations gathered momentum, buoyed up on a wave of optimism. In the words of the novelty record released at the time, we were on the march with Ali's army. I was a student about to sit my final exams at Stirling University when the national team took the decision to make Dunblane Hydro their base camp for their final preparations and they chose the university playing fields for their training sessions. Imagine the excitement of trotting down every day to rub shoulders with the likes of Kenny Dalcleish, Asa Hartford, Graham Souness, Ruffy or Alan Ruff the goalie. Names that can bring a tear to the eye of football supporters of my generation. And to be regaled by the stories of Ali McLeod. Rod Stewart was a regular visitor to the camp, flying in in his personal helicopter. To this day, I can't see the ageing rocker without imagining the overpowering scent of strong aftershave that Ali maintained was always the prelude to his arrival. That campaign, like all the others, was to end in crushing disappointment. And so to Euro 2020, delayed like so many things by the pandemic. Scotland's opening match was against the Czech Republic and played on home ground at Hamden, our national stadium. As soon as the team left the tunnel for the warm-up, they were greeted by the Hamden Roar. A first-in-a-lifetime experience for many, but enough to make the hairs rise on the back of your neck for any passionate Scot. It was difficult to believe that there were fewer than 10,000 fans in the ground, such was the outpouring of emotion that had been 23 years in the making. 
However, in the words of the Daily Record newspaper, a 2-0 defeat gave Scotland a reality check. Disappointed, deflated, but hope springs eternal. In the words of Nicola Sturgeon, our First Minister, onwards and upwards. Next step, Wembley. England, the old enemy. Our national anthem, Flower of Scotland, harks back to the days when we defeated them on the battlefield. Now the football field is the arena of engagement. Dating back to 1872, England versus Scotland is the oldest football rivalry in the world and it oozes malevolence. So much so that the British Home Championships haven't been played since 1989 due to violence and hooliganism. With any positive result setting both teams up for an all-to-play for finish in the final game of the group, it was game on. Scotland fans were urged not to travel for fear of spreading COVID, but no virus was going to stem the march of this tartan army. Scotland received 2,700 tickets for the game, but it's estimated that upwards of 30,000 made the trip. The traditional base camp of Trafalgar Square in London was cordoned off, so they regrouped in the area around Leicester Square, and the celebrations began. Dancing in the rain, blasting out Flower of Scotland on the bagpipes, filling the William Shakespeare fountain with washing up liquid and taking a duke in the bubbles. One kilted fan took to doing the worm to entertain travellers <laughs> on the London Underground. He had definitely gone commando. There was a carnival atmosphere as the lucky few began to filter into Wembley Stadium. The 70s hit Yes Sir We Can Boogie by Baccarat was the anthem of choice. Once the game started, the Scotland team individually and collectively rose to the occasion and with the roar of the Tartan army behind them, they played out of their skins. There were chances on both sides, but a nil-nil draw kept the dream alive and the nation's pride intact. The scene was set for a final match against Croatia, where a win would see Scotland progress to the knockout stages of a major tournament for the first time ever. Bring it on! Salt tyres flew from windows, kids and grown men sported Scotland strips and anthems from previous campaigns were played by radio stations. Their performance against England gave cause for anticipation, but to coin a well-used phrase, it's the hope that gets you in the end. Croatia's Luka Modric and the other superstars that saw Croatia reach the finals of the World Cup in 2018 crushed Scotland's hopes on the turf at Hamden. In the end, Group D was to stand for disappointment and despair. As the Italian newspaper Gazzetto della Sporto wrote, with heart and willingness you can win many games, but not all of them. And in the end, the universal law of talent prevailed in Glasgow. But disappointment is transient. Memories last a lifetime. And vectors and experiences will be discussed, performances reviewed and the what-ifs debated for weeks, possibly years to come. The score doesn't really matter when Scotland plays. Fans are already reflecting that it took two of the best goals of the tournament to knock us out. And we've got qualifying for the 2022 World Cup starting just round the corner in September. Do you think Qatar is ready for an invasion by the Tartan army? Well, Helen, what do you think?
Well, I'm not sure, but I just love the Tartan army. And my son was born in January 79. So we're still playing from singing from 78. We're on the march with Ali's army. So as he's, his name is Alistair. That became his lullaby. We're oh, on the march lovely. with Ali's <laughs> army. I just think that the, the fans are just so emotional, but they're just good-hearted they just they're disappointed but they just come bound straight back up again just like the what you call these tumble men that you punch them down and they just rock straight back up again but that's what I think the Scottish fans are like yeah I think that the game was secondary I mean they're certainly passionate and and whatever but it's going out to have fun and to build the memories and as I say, the memories of 1978 and that run up stay with me. And, and so when it, on Tuesday morning on the day this week when Scotland were playing Croatia, you know, I woke up and as I say, it was all these anthems that were playing on the radio. I went straight into cupboards and brought out the two saltires, went straight up to We've Got a Wee Balcony and went and fl- <laughs> flew my saltires. And of course, my daughter, who was home um, for a week, was, was just looking at me in despair. <laughs> for goodness sake, mother. <laughs> and, and home from London. London, you should perhaps say. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But her and her father are absolutely sports fanatics. Yeah. So the three of us sat and watched the game and we did have the delight of Scotland scoring a goal, which is very unusual. So even although we were defeated by Croatia, we did score and the three of us were on our feet. Goal! Gone yourself, Scotland! <laughs> and I think that's it, Liz, that you know, they, they just need to do you know, something right in the game and we're just so excited for them. And it's a bit like many other things. Everybody was in Scotland was talking about the anticipation of the game, but saying, oh, it's great, you'll know, get into the knockouts, etc. But that was always in brackets. Well, if we can, you know, you know, we, we, <laughs> we're quite realistic. But no, I think football is, I love watching football. I think that this skill involved is is fantastic and I think our Scottish team has got a lot of good skill they're building up again aren't they yeah they're young but they need a striker that's the the common conclusion I think they need a striker but they're a young team and they should go from strength to strength and what I love about the Tartan army I mean so often in club football it's tribal there are cultural differences there are religious differences but the Tartan army encompasses people from all walks of life and it just unites them in a common dream there's no religious or cultural boundaries it's every one of them together supporting the team my my granddaughter um olivia she she plays football she's 12 coming up 30 uh, no yeah she's 11 coming up 12 and she's you know loves her football but i think i don't think she's going to be old enough for the scotland team to help them (laughs) on their way um and she, my, my son, he doesn't play football, but he was a great supporter of Dunfermline. And when Olivia got her first medal for football, it was presented by an old Dunfermline player, which Alistair, my son, was delighted to see, to be up alongside a Dunfermline player. Yeah, and, you know, the, the, being able to get a draw against the English oh. was as good as a oh, win. Yes. You know, the fact that we, managed, we we weren't defeated. And they tend to think that it's the Scots that have got this thing against the English. But it was interesting that after Scotland were finally put out by Croatia, a, a, a crowd of English supporters phoned up a chippy, a chip shop, a fish and chip shop um, in Glasgow. 
and they asked the poor soul that answered the phone there if they served battered haggis. <sighs> And when she replied innocently, yes, we do, they erupted into chants of Scotland get battered everywhere they go. And when they reported this on Twitter, one Scotland fan quickly pointed out, not everywhere, not in England, because they hadn't been battered by the English. So not quite everywhere. Well, that's right, because we see see the the bright side of everything. You know, as you say, you you had the experience of a goal. Okay. And that was it. That was good. So, Liz, is it time to think of our words now? So have you got a word? Yes, well, I've I've talked about despondency and despair, disappointment. You could say that after the match on Tuesday, the Scots fans were fair scunnered. Scunnered. A scunner is where you turn yourself off food. You know, you get fed up. It, it, it makes you feel mm-hmm. nauseous or whatever. That's what a scunner is. If you've sickened, yeah, if you've had too much of something. But scunner just means that you feel fierce sick. You're, you're, you're fed up. Scunnered. I love that word. There's there's always, almost no equivalent to it in English. Well, well, my word, Liz, after talking about all that, the football and the games and all the sport, that all these participants in these games would be fair puggled at the end of their game fair puggled p-u-g-g-l-e-d meaning very tired just completely shattered by their their efforts that they'd put out yeah i'm sure there was a few fans that were puggled to just watching it oh that's right yes (laughs) yes a good one helen yeah well that was a week in scottish history onwards and upwards yeah absolutely so See you next week. See you next week. Bye. Bye. And there we have it, the end of another episode of Scottish Blethers. If you'd like to join us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram as at Scottish Blethers. And if you'd like to leave a review, please do so on your podcast platform of choice. It's cheery bye from me. Ta-ta the new from me. And if I don't see you through the week, I'll see you through the windy from me. Bye. See ya. Bye.